Last week, our awesome producer, Melanie Starling, uh, attended the Women of the World Summit here in New York and met some amazing women and, and uh, heard from some amazing women talking about very, very important issues uh, regarding women. As you know, I'm the father of two daughters, and I've become an activist for equality, uh, against violence, and about reproductive rights, you name it. I'm very pro-woman. I'm so pro-woman, I actually uh, believe now that uh, I wish women ran the world. Everybody, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. They certainly do in my house. Very excited, though, to welcome one of the women that was at this conference last week. She is the founder, president, and CEO of a uh, global human rights organization called Breakthrough. She's also a recognized pioneer of innovative social change. Uh, Most recently, she led Breakthrough's March 8th launch of the global ring the bell one million men one million promises campaign which with luminaries including uh, sir patrick stewart sir richard branson uh michael bolton who although not knighted is uh, is a, a well-known uh singer and doing good things obviously and as well as uh, of course russell simmons for uh, calling on men worldwide to take concrete action to challenge violence against women very very happy and excited to have malika dutt joining us malika thanks so much for being here today good morning pete glad to be here too so i ask uh, you heard what i said there at the beginning why is it why is it so important to have this campaign to include uh, uh men uh to call on men to take action because we obviously want men uh who are most often the you know the 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 ones who are committing the violence against women in these situations we want them to not do that but men like Michael Bolton and Patrick Stewart and me aren't doing that so what can we do so thanks for asking that question Pete you know violence against women affects everybody it has a huge impact on the family on kids on communities on society on the healthcare system and so what we're saying is that it isn't enough just to say it's a women's issue and that the men who commit acts of violence stop. We really need men to start standing up as, as allies. We really not, need men to start understanding how important it is for all of us that we create a society where respect, where values of dignity really permeate our relationships. So, for example, you know, when we launched the One Million Men campaign, Patrick Stewart did this amazing, amazing thing. He talked about what impact it had on him to grow up in a home where his father beat his mother. And he Mm. talked about it with so much power and so much love and so much compassion, but he really shone a light on how much the issue of violence is affecting our whole society. So I think it's really time for us to stop the violence, and the only way we can do that is if men step up. Well, when, 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 you know, it's great for uh, a, a guy as well known as Patrick Stewart, Sir Patrick Stewart, to step up. Um, it, what can uh, uh, lesser known men like me uh, w- uh, do? What can men who, who aren't in the public eye or don't have a lot of followers on Twitter or just guys, you know, that, that want to stand up against, in this case, violence against women, what can they do? Um, joining your campaign is important, but how can, how can we create more awareness? So, you know, the basic motto that Breakthrough lives by is that human rights begin with you, that human rights begin at home. And at the end of the day, the Patrick Stewart's of the world are just helpful to get the word out to lots of people. But the only way we're really going to change the situation is if you and just everyday guys and everyday women get involved in addressing the situation. So there's thousands of 
of promises that people have already started to make um, with the Ring the Bell campaign, and I'll just share some of them with you if that will give you some Absolutely. Give me, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, people have said, guys have said that they will challenge their buddies when they use words like bitch and hoe and, you know, demean women in just sort of everyday language. Um, somebody who's a high school teacher has said that he's going to start talking about gender discrimination and violence against women with all of his students in his classroom. There's other guys who have said that they're going to really um, work on what happens in the Internet space and really use their Facebook and their Twitter presence to challenge their buddies who say disrespectful things to that um, you know, to women and to girls in those spaces. Um, there's other people who are making more concrete promises. So this guy who heads Google in India, who's also an angel, angel investor, has said that for the year 2013, he's only going to invest in tech startups that has women as part of a founding group. So those are all examples of really tangible, concrete things that anybody can do. And really the thing is to think about, who are you? What's the space that you occupy? And what can you do to step up and say, you know what? We got to stop the violence. You know, I uh, I used to use all kinds of words um, uh, that when I was growing up, um, I never used <clears throat> the word nigger, but I used the word faggot and I used the word bitch. And I and I and I, I did. I didn't even think about it. Um, I, you know, things change when you become the father of daughters. I, I remember reading this article that that men who have daughters uh, and who are you know employers uh, are more likely to pay women more. And when I look at my daughters and when I hear words like bitch and hoe, they are as powerful to me as as words like like nigger and faggot. They have that same. They have a similar amount of power. We don't hear measure right, Malika, uh, discrimination and oppression. It's it's just bad, and we should try to eliminate it. But um, why does language matter so much? Because my interpretation is when. When we describe women, uh, females, as bitches or as hoes, it, it's, it does what we always do wrong to women. It objectifies them as, as, as kind of vessels uh, to, to be conquered um, and uh, to, only for uh, purposes of sex. And more than anything else, it, it, it dehumanizes a woman to be called a name like that. So certainly uh, we don't have the history uh, that we do with issues um, with, with blacks in America and slavery. Uh, but but with women, why are words like bitch and hoe, in your uh, interpretation, so damaging? Well, you know, you, you just nailed it. I think that when you use words and make people other, you know, like make them into something less than who you are and demean them, then it allows you to do all kinds of things to them. So the connections between language and actions are actually pretty powerful. It's the language that objectifies women that's connected to the fact that we still continue to have situations like Steubenville happen in the United States, where two young, promising footballers can carry an unconscious teenage girl around, sexually assault her, and have a whole community of their peers around them taking pictures and posting things on Twitter and thinking, that's okay. You have a situation where, you know, lyrics and songs can call women bitches and hoes and call for violence against them and sort of get away with impunity. And every single day we're dealing with a new situation where somebody's been raped or sexually assaulted. But I'll go one step further. 
I think when you dehumanize people, it makes it okay to beat them at home. It makes it okay to pay them less money than men. It makes it okay to not have them have the same positions of power in workplaces, in corporations, on boards. So when you demean people and you make them unequal, it plays itself out in your own relationship with them, but then it plays itself out in all the institutions of power around you. And I'll take it one step even further and say, you know, I was in India when the Delhi gang rape happened, and this young woman died as a result of this brutal, brutal um, assault on her. But the sexual assault that she faced with these guys and what they did to her is sort of the end of the road in terms of where this stuff starts. And it really starts with teaching men and women that respect equality and dignity are human rights that belong to all of us and that we've got to respect that for one another. Uh, my guest is Malika Dutt. Uh, she uh, herself is an amazing woman. Uh, we, uh, we, we were introduced to her last week at the Women in the World Summit. Uh, and what is the best uh, website to plug for you for Breakthrough? Um, I'd love for people to go to breakthrough.tv backslash ring the bell and join the movement. There's huge momentum. We're really excited with all the guys who are writing in and making promises, and we hope that we'll get um, thousands and millions more to join us. It's a brilliant campaign, and I'll I'll tweet it out as soon as we're done here, Malika. But, you know, what what, what about – you know, you mentioned the uh, the Steubenville rape, and as a result of that, I, I believe as a result of that, there was a YouTube video made by a brilliant young man and, and young lady uh, where he basically just said, this is how you treat a woman. And, they, they're, you know, he depicted this woman being, uh, you know, drunk or passed out or something, and he put her on a couch, and he put a cover, uh, you know, put a blanket over her. And you know, it went viral. I mean, it got millions of hits. It was like a, you know, a 20-second video, and it got, everybody saw it. I was so impressed with that that simple video, that simple gesture, and I just, I was so moved by it. Things like that. I sent out a tweet the other day, and uh, I think comedy, I'm a comedian, um, can, can achieve these purposes. I said, I'd lo- the next time uh, a coach or a man says to a boy, you throw like a girl, I hope he gets hit by a ball thrown by a girl. I mean, it's like, I mean, there's, there's different ways to educate people that are kind of out of the box, a video, comedy, that, that can really teach especially men um, who perhaps don't have good role models, um, to treat women uh, with respect and with equality, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you're keeping the promise just by even doing this show. It's fantastic. If people like yourself and, you know, Don McPherson and Michael Bolton and all of the guys that you mentioned when we started um, talking about the Ring the Bell campaign – you know, are out there because you're being a role model right now. You're saying it's okay for guys to say, hey, this is my issue too. And the video that you just talked about is brilliant because, you know, when you you also asked me right at the beginning, what can guys do? Well, what can guys do is as simple as putting your buddy into a safe space and on a couch and letting her sleep it out if she's had too much to drink. And it's literally actions like that that start with you, that start at home, that are about just what's going on in your space, that ultimately make a difference in this world. That's how all social change happens, and that's what we're asking everyone to come join us to do. I've had a hard time as a stand-up comedian and such a supporter of free speech. I've had a hard time, and, and, and um, I think I've evolved quite a bit on this issue of language. And I know that you already just talked about it, but I really do think it's, it's, it's so important that 
that we change the way that we use words and we change the way way that we talk. Can you give me more examples of how language is damaging? Well, you know, there's a huge conversation going on right now about bullying in uh, our country, and it's such a great thing that that's happening. And if we just start with our kids, and even if you think about our own childhoods, right, like the names people call us and the things people say to us, I mean, as a feminist and as somebody who's been working on women's rights for as long as I have, I have been called everything from a bitch to a whore to a slut to a dyke to, uh, you know, and, and I won't even get into translating what some of those words are like in Hindi and other Indian languages. Get, you know, they, <laughs> yeah. those words You've been can, called all those things in every language. In, in a lot of different <laughs> languages. You yeah. know, I mean, I've been um, spat at, yelled at, screamed at, gotten death sentence, you know, death threats. I mean, it's just, it's pretty crazy the kind of stuff that goes on. And, you know, when you think back on as a kid what it's like when somebody calls you a word that's loaded with meaning that puts you down, whether it's sissy or faggot, at the end of the day, what, what is it that you're ultimately being told? So when you tell a guy you throw like a girl, the underlying value of that statement is that girls can't throw or that girls are bad at sports or that girls are somehow less than guys. So right there, you're starting out by saying to this guy that you're better than a girl. And if you're like a girl, there's something wrong with you. And that plays itself out at so many different levels. You know, the way I dealt with it as a, as a kid, because I grew up with three brothers, and so I was always fighting about what they were allowed to do and what I wasn't allowed to do or, you know, words that were used to describe me in a particular way, that I finally got to a point where when people call me a whore or a slut or a bitch, I would turn around and say, yes, I am, and that means that I believe in human rights. And, you know, you can take words and turn them around, but they kind of really get inside you. They get into your heart. They hurt you. And then we all start building all these armors around ourselves, all these walls to protect ourselves. And then in order to protect ourselves, we lash out at other people. So before somebody calls you a slut or before somebody else calls you a sissy, you're going to make sure that you call somebody else that. And soon we're in this cycle of naming and protecting and lashing out and being really mean and awful to one another because we've got this culture where putting people down is the only way in which you can be cool. And so what, what I'm saying to everybody and what I'm saying to guys especially is that, you know, the current construction of masculinity hurts everyone. It doesn't just hurt women. It hurts men too. Because when you put yourself into the current box of what is okay to do as a guy or what masculinity means, you're also cutting off a whole huge part of yourself and your own creativity and your own emotions and all the different things that you can be in this world. So words connect to constructs, connect to boxes, connect to how we all treat one another. And so it's really important. You know, Reebok just dropped this hip-hop singer called Rick Ross, who has this new song where he says, um, you know, put a drug in a woman's drink, she passes out, take her home, enjoy her. And it took a huge campaign by Ultraviolet to make that happen. But when he's singing that, and there's millions of young men who are listening to him sing that, what they're hearing is that it's cool. It's cool to drug a woman, take her home, and rape her. 
But we're finally at the point now where, you know, folks are standing up, women and men are standing up and saying, hey, enough is enough. Time to change the script. We're talking to Malika Dutt, and it, it, that's a, just a, a great way to put it about changing the script. That that was a powerful last statement that I hope a lot of our our, uh, our male listeners uh, uh, hear. What about culture? And more importantly, what about religion, Malika? Um, I can't even. I, I, I got like two hours of sleep last night, Malika. I apologize. Um, uh, what about religion? Religion subjugates women. Almost every religion. Jimmy Carter, former U.S. president. Um, not famously enough, but famously three years ago, uh, separated from the Southern Baptist Church that he'd been a member of for 60 years, writing a profoundly uh, powerful and impactful uh, op-ed of, about his experience and, 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 and why he was doing this. So whether it's um, Islam, Christianity, uh, Hindu, it doesn't matter. Um, religion subjugates women um, in, in many, many ways. Um, what, what do, you, do you agree with that? Do you think it's a problem? Uh, uh, what, what do you think needs to be done about that? You know, I think that religion is a really uh, powerful institution, and it has all kinds of aspects to it that are great in terms of building community, giving people meaning, connecting people to you know, a spiritual identity and, and uh, a spiritual life. And so I just want to start by saying that, you know, I really, inc- I, I really respect and acknowledge all of those positive as- attributes of what belief systems like religions can do for people. At the same time, religion, like pretty much every other institution that we currently live with in society, is also deeply patriarchal. And as part of that, the role of women and the role of women, particularly in the home or as you know, childbearers um, is something that gets defined in ways that totally affect women's lives in negative ways and also, I think, contribute seriously and severely to violence against women. And increasingly, I think we need to really start calling religious leaders and religious institutions out on that. You know, every year at the UN, for example, at the United Nations, there's all these negotiations that go on around women's reproductive rights. The Vatican is always trying to push back those rights. The Vatican is always involved in negotiating at that table in a really negative way. They're often joined by other countries that currently have conservative Islamic-led governments. And so, you know, we call it the unholy alliance that just sort of comes together to really keep women's rights out of society and to kind of put women down. But I think that if I look at millennials and I look at younger generations of people who do practice faith, a lot of that is changing. I think young folks today are challenging gender norms, gender constructions, religious edicts in all kinds of exciting and new ways. So I'm, for one, thinking, hey, you know, religion is something that we understand is around and important to people. There's no reason why things have to stay the same. Nothing stays the same. There's lots of things that religious folks do that aren't about continuing to do old mores and old cultural norms that were horrible or oppressive to other groups of people. You know, it's like saying, well, my religion supported slavery, so I continue to support slavery. Nobody has the guts to do that anymore. And we just have to get this whole conversation to a point where nobody has the guts to stand up and say, I condone the inequality of women because of religion or anything else. Uh, Malika Dutt is my guest, and I, I, you know, we've been talking a lot 
about the things that men do. Uh, we've been talking to men, the things that they can do. Um, speaking now to women, you are, are a woman who I will teach my daughters about. Um, you're a great role model. You're a great leader. When I hear great, uh, strong, powerful, confident women speak like I did uh, Jennifer Granholm at a rally in Washington one day, like like Hillary Clinton did last week at, at this uh, forum that you were at, you will often hear these women uh, almost, uh, you know, beg, but 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 really plead with other women to get in positions of not necessarily power, but 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 policy creators. They, you know, both Jennifer Granholm and Hillary Clinton often say, "Get into public service. You don't have to be a politician. You could be working for supporting a politician." Very important for women to be in in America and other countries lawmakers themselves. Do you, do you, I mean, obviously, I know you agree with that, but why is that important? And, and what are we doing to get women uh, in more positions of power so that they can create policy that brings this equality about and that creates more awareness for, uh, for men like me and, and women in general? Well, you know, the, the policy question is a really important one. And you know, very recently, um, we had to reauthorize the Violence Against Women Act, which mm-hmm. has been... Um, you know, a policy that we had in the United States for almost two decades that uh, suddenly became controversial. And, you know, why on earth in the year 2012 and 2013 were we even debating the reauthorization of something called the Violence Against Women Act in the United States of America? I mean, just think about it. How crazy was that, that there was even anybody in our government space that was saying, hey, uh, we shouldn't be extending protections to Native American women, or we shouldn't be extending protections to immigrant women, and we need to remove, um, you know, lesbian women from the protections of this act. I mean, that process ended up taking so much longer. I mean, we all thought that it was going to be a shoe-in, that we were going to get reauthorization of VAVA and, you know, continue to move forward with this great law that has all kinds of protections and resources for women who experience violence. And, you know, women in the Senate and women in in Congress crossed party lines, crossed party lines across the Democrats and the Republicans, and, and really stood up and really said, you know, this is ridiculous, and came together to make sure that VAVA finally passed with all the protections in place. And it isn't just VAVA. I mean, I think it's any kind of policy that affects all of us. You need to have voices in there that describe and put on the table for people what those policies mean to people at the community level, what those policies mean for women. Until we get to a point where it really doesn't matter whether it's a man or a woman and we understand that we're all, we'll all speak up for one another. Having women in positions of power in public policy affects laws, it affects legislation, it affects implementation. But having said that, I also want to say that it isn't enough just to have women and stir the sauce. You know, you can also have guys who are really big leaders on women's issues, like Vice President Biden has been on the issue of violence against women, for example. You can also have women who aren't supportive necessarily of women's rights. So I'm not one of those feminists who believe that, you know, just put a whole bunch of women into positions of power and everything will change. It is really important to have women and men occupy positions of power across the board in corporations and government, but it's also really important to have a value system and to have a notion of human rights that includes everybody. Can you 
can you is there this is a a, a hard a hard question uh to 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 have an answer for maybe but i i bet you've got some kind of advice in that can you help men uh see life through a woman's eyes because it's it's interesting and and often embarrassing for me to not understand uh, a woman's body. I've, it's 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 strange how much I've learned about a woman's body having my little girls. Um, it's you know I'm a 37 year old man and I, I I there were certain little things that I didn't that I actually literally didn't know and it was embarrassing to me to find them out. But I'm glad that I did. Uh, but much more embarrassing. Well, they probably weren't embarrassed. But you know Rush Limbaugh not un, uh, Limbaugh not understanding how birth control works or or Todd Aiken not understanding how conception works. Um, some of this stuff. Men just don't understand biological functions. But more importantly, I think men don't understand what it's like to be in a woman's skin. And and one example is simply um, the idea that a woman always has to fear, uh, or maybe I'm wrong even saying this, uh, the way I'm phrasing it, but a woman uh, is... is is not perhaps as afraid of terrorism, right, as as a man is because women, um, you know, could be terrorized at any point through sexual assaults. And women always have to be vigilant and be concerned about that potential attack. And and I think that men just take that for granted. I don't think that men were able to have that fear generally. You know, that's, I mean, it's very few people really, ask the question that you just did, and I, I really appreciate your asking it, Beat, because, you know, at the end of the day, the, the biggest irony that we live with on this planet is that home, home is the most unsafe space for women and girls. Mm-hmm. And home is what we construct, and family is what we construct as sort of the ultimate goal for all of us to have a, a great family, you know, where parents and children can have the most loving, amazing environment and thrive. And, you know, we have all of these laws and benefits and everything that's attached to uh, trying to get families to be healthy, safe, happy places for us um, as citizens to grow up in. And the irony is, is that home is often the most unsafe space for women. And whether it, it can start with, you know, a kid watching your dad beat your mom, and there are more and more studies that are showing actual impact on the brain of not of, of young children, um, infants, of what happens when they watch that kind of stuff happen. But moving beyond that, incest, child sexual abuse, sexual harassment, date rape, um, harassment on the streets, unwelcome advances from teachers in the classroom, getting into a workspace and having to make sure that nothing you see or do is going to end up getting you into trouble with this guy who's looking at you inappropriately. Mm. You know, it's like your whole sense of self and your body is always under attack. It's a sense of navigating the world where you're never able to just be free, never able to just be your whole beautiful, amazing, wonderful self, because so much of that wonderful, beautiful self is viewed in a certain way, is looked at by men in particular in a certain way. You're leered at. You're, the, the male gaze on the women's body kind of makes you shrivel up or then turns you into this, you know, 
young woman who is suffering from bulimia or anorexia and, you know, this whole notion of what is the beautiful female body in terms of the objectified self where everyone is suffering from all kinds of health issues because it's so um, really not possible for women to actually look like that, but that's supposed to be what beauty is. I mean, all of these different things really come together to make the way in which women navigate their lives a horrible, terrible, horrifying thing. And what you pointed out in terms of the analogy between terrorism and sort of day-to-day life for women is absolutely true. And I'm going to draw on an experience from when I was growing up in India, but I certainly had have had that experience here in different ways in the United States where I've lived since I was 18. But, you know, when I was a kid and I used to get on a bus in India, I always used to carry a huge safety pin, you know, like those diaper, nappy safety pins. Right. Because... Every time I got on a bus or went anywhere, I had guys who were trying to touch me or grope me inappropriately, and I had the safety pin open all the time so I could, you know, shove it into their hand or poke them, and that was the way in which I protected myself. And there have been many occasions on New York subways when I've had to deal with the same situation, and now, you know, of course, I've learned how to do things like you step on somebody's foot, your, you know, arm goes into somebody's stomach, Um, you know, you find ways to kind of navigate yourself around those spaces, but you're constantly under assault in that way. And what do you, what does that do to your sense of self? What does that do to the sense of self of girls and women all over this country and all over the world? Because we're always in a state like we're under siege. You know, it's just as you explain that, I just had one observation, which was um, I've never, ever felt that way. Um, I have. And and, and even even as I I say that, I realize I'm wrong because I should say I've never felt a woman was doing that to me. So I was out at a basketball game with a with a good uh, friend of mine. Well, he wasn't a good friend, kind of a business acquaintance who I knew was gay. And we were sitting there during the game, and I didn't. I felt him kind of leering at me and looking at me, and I felt like you know it was kind of a sexual thing. I'm sure it was. And I remember feeling, at at first, Malika, I literally thought to myself, as much as I'm for gay rights and have very close friends and relatives who are gay, I felt for the first time, I think, as an adult, I was like, is homosexuality a perversion? I mean, look at the way this guy's looking at me. And then it hit me. It hit me. I go, wow. I finally feel how women feel all the time, all the time. That's what's going on. He was objectifying me. He was looking at me in a sexual way, and it made me uncomfortable, not because he was a gay man, but just that someone was doing that to me. And I, I, don't, I can't recall a time a, a woman has, has done that or that I felt, if they were, that I felt uncomfortable with it. But that's how I felt. And I, and I just, it's really the only time I ever felt that way. And it was a very, I'm, I'm so glad it happened. Because I could finally just for a moment relate. And it's just so interesting to hear you tell your story and sit here and go as a man. We almost never, ever deal with that. And we take it for granted. And when we do have that, by the way, from women, we I think we don't feel threatened by it because it doesn't it it rarely manifests itself in a violent way. Is that fair to say that when women will will objectify or sexualize men, 
they don't grope, they don't rape, they don't become violent. I think obviously I'm generalizing, it can happen, but it's it's not something that men fear. That's absolutely true. And if you really think about violence against women, I mean ninety nine percent of the time one is talking about male violence. You know, we don't we tend not to use sort of words that actually name the issue in real clear ways. And one of the things that I've been trying to do is say male violence against women because then it brings the other folks into um, the conversation in terms of if there are male perpetrators of violence against women, that you've also got to have men who are not perpetrators, who may be bystanders, but just men in general step up and say, hey, you know, this is my problem just as much as it is anyone, any woman's problem. And that's one of the reasons why it's been so important to me. You know, I've been doing this work for the last three decades. I've been working on issues of, of violence against women in, in all kinds of forms and, and different ways, and also how, you know, these issues affect women of color, immigrant women, poor women. It, it's not just one uh, experience for everybody, you know, right. certainly uh, sure. people's racial background, class background, religious background, I mean, things play themselves out differently. Or, you know, the, the millions of stories of domestic workers who work in people's homes and have to deal with all kinds of abuse and sexual harassment and, you know, different ways in which this, this stuff plays out. But, you know, I've been doing this work for a long time. I set up an organization called Saki. 25 years ago that works with survivors of violence in the South Asian community. I was involved very much in the initial passage, uh, fighting for the passage of the Violence Against Women Act. I mean, you know, I've worked at the global policy level around demanding that women's rights be recognized as human rights through all of the, the public policy uh, conferences that have happened at the UN level. And it was really about, I don't know, eight years ago, nine years ago, when I started Breakthrough, that I just, it, like a light bulb went off for me. And I was like, you know, if we do not work with men, and if we do not get men to step up as allies, we're just going to keep dealing with violence after the fact. We're not going to change the conditions that lead to violence in the first place. And if we want to stop the violence, not just stop the violence, but really rebuild how women and men sort of live together and coexist on this planet, we've got to bring men into this conversation. You know, Don McPherson said um, at the March 8th launch that really the fight against racism and the abolitionist movement and the passage of the Civil Rights Act in the United States was only possible when white people stepped up and said, you know what? Racism is wrong. The way in which we treat African-American communities in this country is wrong. And I'm going to step up because in order for me to live in the society that I dream about, I've got to be part of the solution to ending it. And Dawn said, I'm only sitting on this stage right now on March 8th because white allies stepped up and joined the movement against racism. You know, that analogy works for us, too. i got to say, um, you're talking about Don McPherson. I didn't know who he was, so I, I looked him up. You're talking about the former Syracuse University football player? Yeah, yeah. It's You know, I got it. This is kind of a weird moment for me. I I grew up in Syracuse, Univer uh, Syracuse New York, um, uh, watching him play football. And to find out that he has done this with his life 
um, is 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 profoundly impactful. As we speak, I, I just found that out. That that's a beautiful moment for me. And, and and if you can hook us up and have him come on the program, I would love that because that would be a, that would mean a great deal to me. Um, and uh, that's 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 just such such a great thing to hear that he's done this with his life. Um, uh, and and let me I, I've got to end it here, Malika Dutt. But um, count me as an ally. And I, you're a hero. You're awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's um, uh, really, really uh, impactful and powerful. And and you're a hero. And I'm I'm very excited to have had you join us. And I hope that you'll come back. Thanks, Pete. And we're so thrilled to have you as an ambassador as part of the Ring the Bell movement. Thanks a lot. Awesome, Malika Dutt. Thank you. I'm gonna go tweet out all the all the links and everything, and uh, and make my own promise. Fabulous. All right. Um, that's Malika Dutt, and everybody, I hope that you will uh, will check out her organization and uh, um, definitely go to Breakthrough.tv, make your own promise, make a video, spread the word, um, and especially as she said there at the end, it's very important for us guys um, that, 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 that agree with this and that understand these issues or try to at least to, to make uh, our own impact.